Hi, and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. It's the show that takes you into all things ooky, spooky, mysterious, and unexplained. And uh, hopefully we try to get a little more comfortable with not having all of the answers. Uh, I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. And this week, what are we talking about, Carrie? Well, this is part two of our deep dive into legends and lore of Connecticut. That is right. And today we're going to take a look at some um, haunted locations or mysterious locations. Is Mm -hmm. that fair to say? It's very fair to say. Beautiful. Uh, Who's got the ball first? I think you do, sir. Okay. So let's talk about what is uh, widely called the most haunted place in Connecticut. I've seen it called the most haunted place in the country. That's a bold claim. It is a bold claim. It is the tiny, abandoned village known as Dudley Town. Mm-hmm. Dudley Town is a um, small settlement uh, in Cornwall, Connecticut, is, is really where it is, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, a good ways north of here. Yeah, definitely further from the city and that whole area. Yeah, so you, you hear lots of spooky stories. I think a lot of people's... Um, uh, older everyone has an older brother who knows a cousin who like uh, spent a night in a pickup truck near Dudley Town and mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know their flashlight batteries stopped working and all that kind of kind of stuff. Um, so let's look into Dudley Town, shall we? Uh, first of all, not a town was settled, but uh, officially was was part of Cornwall uh, kind of from the beginning. Um, but some uh, some folks first started settling there, including a, a guy named Gideon Dudley and uh, his two brothers. They plopped down near Cornwall in 1747. And um, so the area, the hill they kind of uh, plopped down on became known as Dudley Town. So it was after their name. It was after those guys, yeah. Mm. Um, today, the land is jealously guarded by the eerily named Dark Entry Forest Association. Dark Entry? Dark Entry. Now, is the forest the Dark Entry Forest? What's the deal with that? Um, it, it is actually. I, I don't think anyone knows that because they just call it Dudley Town. It's technically Dark Entry Forest. What's that name all about? Uh, Why is it so creepy for no reason? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. And, and I looked into it. There's actually a lot of in other states and stuff. The, the dark entry was not an uncommon thing to name like a road. And the road, as you as you come into to, uh, Dudley Town, is called Dark Entry Road. And uh, the, the area is called Dark Entry Forest. It's because it, when they settled there, like there wasn't a lot of light that could get through. Cause it's a very steep hill that was that had a bunch of trees on it. Um, so it's Connecticut's dark entry. It's Connecticut's uh, dark entry. Lovely. Yeah, they should have T-shirts. <laughs> yeah, one in the pink, two in the dark entry. <laughs> so the <laughs> so the dark entry forest association, whatever they get up to in their dark entries. Um, uh, are famously i said they jealously guard the land they they'll call the cops on uh, anyone who kind of sets foot on what is private property uh, admittedly and um yeah so that's part of what gives the place kind of a creepy allure is that these there's this uh, image of like these these her- hermit people living there and not wanting outsiders nearby and and um people say that that there's no animals uh, at all 
Is this their job or are they volunteers? Is this more of a neighborhood no, watch? Or? It's more of a neighborhood watch. They live oh. there, uh, is my understanding. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. But well, no one lives in Dudley Town. Uh, they do. We'll get into uh, the Dark okay. Entry Forest okay. Association a little bit more later. Uh, people do live there, and that's why they call the cops when, when um, people go ghost hunting in their backyards, essentially. Right. Yes. Well, they definitely have a lot of land, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a three hundred acre plot. We'll we'll get into all of it, okay. but right now, first, we need to talk about the Dudley Town curse. Oh, because uh, well, there are some people living there. It's not a thriving community uh, like it like it was for a time. Um, and many say uh, because the Dudley Town was plagued with. Um, uh, well, there, there are a lot of stories of misfortune that, that are around Dudley Town. Hmm. Um, I mentioned the uh, Dudleys who, um, who came and moved here. Mm-hmm. Legend has it that they moved to the New World to escape a family curse. Oh, but they moved like the whole family together? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, they, they, no, their father uh, left the left the uh, left England to uh, supposedly escape this curse. Uh, it all goes back to Edmund Dudley. Okay. Uh, beheaded for treason after a, a cowardly attempt on the life of uh, King Henry VIII. And that's real? Uh, that part is real, yes. Oh, okay. uh, he tried to usurp the throne, and uh, uh, he was beheaded by King Henry VIII. Did Henry curse the family? Was Henry into laying curses? I, I don't... I think he was into laying the <laughs> ladies into laying in the pipe, bed yeah. chamber. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've never heard of a King Henry VIII curse before. Well, this is a first, uh, because strange things happened to the descendants of Edmund Dudley. His grandson, Guilford Dudley, tried to marry into the throne, so he, he took a different route to power. Um, but after, um, some court intrigues and, uh, and a few other royal deaths, uh, power changed hands and he and his wife were both executed. Mm. Um, that was Guilford Dudley. Mm-hmm. His brother uh, brought home a plague from France. Uh, he was a military officer. Brought home a plague that killed thousands. And they traced it back to this one guy? Probably not. But, uh, <laughs> the literature will tell you that he personally. Uh, and then uh, th- their other brother, the third son, Robert, the Earl of Leicester, fled the curse to the New World. He's the, his three brothers, uh, his three sons, sorry, eventually moved to uh, Cornwall and found Dudley Town. Mm-hmm. ABL Dudley. Who? ABL Dudley. ABL. Yep, is one of these uh, Dudley brothers. Okay, one of the three. Mm -hmm. One of the four, I'm sorry. Three of them uh, moved away, left town. Okay, all right. It's a lot of Dudleys. Yeah, it's a lot of Dudleys. They they left town, uh, they didn't stay in Dudley Town too long, and they all lived long, full lives. Mm -hmm. ABL Dudley stayed, and he died penniless and insane. Why? What happened? Um... He sort of frittered away his fortune uh, and and uh, and eventually lost his mind and was a ward of the town before he died. A ward of the town? Uh-huh. Is w- this like Shit's Creek? I think it's more like Britney Spears, technically. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, later, uh, a famous, uh, a famous uh, inhabitant of Dudley Town, Revolutionary General Herman Swift. This guy served under General George Washington. Big deal. Mm-hmm. Um. He lived in Dudley Town. This is a true story. I'm not going to come back and debunk this later. His wife was standing out on their front porch in Dudley Town, and she was struck by lightning, killed killed dead. Um, and he died uh, completely insane. Uh, he also lost his mind, and, and he died uh, alone. 
now are we going to figure out why so many people in this one place go insane? We'll get to everything. All will be revealed in time, Caroline. One of the town's last residents was supposedly a John Patrick Brophy. John Patrick, one of your people. Uh, That is very true, and more on that later as well. Uh, Poor John Patrick's wife died of consumption, Mm. uh, which was not an uncommon thing at the time. Nothing supernatural about that. Nowadays, that's called tuberculosis, right? That is very true. Mm -hmm. Died of TB. Shortly after the funeral, however, John Patrick Brophy's children both walked into the woods and were never seen again. They walked into the dark entry woods. They walked into the dark entry and they never exited. Yikes. A short time later, his house burned down mysteriously. And a short time after that, legend has it, Brophy himself vanished into the forest, never to be seen again. Mm. No body or anything. I couldn't find any uh, any headlines about John Patrick. We'll get we'll get into John Patrick Brophy in a, in, a, in a minute. Okay. Um, but let's get into the modern age. In 1906, a Dr. William C. Clark came to Cornwall, uh, saw Dudley Town, fell in love, bought a 300-acre plot of land there, and built a uh, little vacation home. Sort of a little vacation resort. He was a guy with with some money. Mm-hmm. Um, built a little vacation home for himself and his wife to enjoy on long weekends and summer trips. Um, and they both loved it until one day, as the story goes, uh, William C. Clark was called away to the city on an emergency. And he came back 36 hours later. His wife had been alone in the cabin. She had gone completely insane and spent the rest of her life in an asylum. God... This is like a thing where you do a shot every time someone goes insane and you will be plastered in five minutes. Yeah, no, exactly. It's wild. And some say she murmured stories of creatures coming out of the woods to attack her. Now, could those be the little children that disappeared in the woods? Um, That's a very, very good question. Um, And but but you can see why there's all this fascination around Dudley Town. Sure. Um, Unfortunately, nothing is ever this fun. Mm hmm. In real life, um, and we 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 have a guy we have a guy to thank for for our, our big debunk here. Um, Ed Dudley himself, Reverend Gary P. Dudley, wrote a book called "The Legend of Dudley Town: Solving Legends Through Genealogical and Historical Research," which is a title I somehow said without falling asleep. <laughs> Well, he is a reverend. And in this whole book, he finds, uh, he, he does do his whole family tree. He's descended from the Dudleys of Dudley Town. Mm-hmm. And he finds no link between his family and um, the Dudleys of England. Really? Yeah. Okay. Just no connection at all. That part's totally So the made Dudleys up. of England existed. Yes, that's a real story. And those things happened. Yep. And then, of course, the Dudleys of Dudley Town existed, but there is no genealogical link. Correct. I mean, it's it's early enough that they might have just come over and there's no link because people didn't keep their papers or whatever, you know? That's true, but I, I think the... Unless you do like a 23andMe type thing where you do a DNA test and compare it to like the English <laughs> Dudley's DNA test. No, that's true. And I guess we can't rule out uh, any uh, bastard children along the way who weren't accounted for. But, but this um, th- this book, this guy does the whole family trees in both directions. I and see. shows how they kind of parallel pass each other. There's, there's no connection. Um, in the same book, he also goes into all the different stories of the suicides, the madness, the deaths, uh, and largely finds um, 
those to be distortions or exaggerations or, or just untrue. And I've got I've got a bunch of this stuff. Um, this is amazing. I, I went on the Cornwall Historical Society's website mm-hmm. uh, and they address all this stuff, obviously. And they revealed to me that all of these stories, John Patrick Brophy, uh, the story about Dr. Clark and his wife, Mm -hmm. uh, the story about ABL Dudley going mad, um, the story about General Swift's wife getting struck by lightning and then him going crazy. uh, All of those originated in a single book called History of Cornwall by an Edward C. Starr in 1926. Okay. And in the Cornwall Historical Society's words, for reasons that have yet to be explained, Mm. Starr wove together a fanciful and inaccurate two-page account of Dudleytown residents over the centuries. No accounts of the supernatural in Dudleytown have been found prior to the publication of this book. Mm. Um, So it's like the legend of Sleepy Hollow, but the same sort of thing where there wasn't actually like Ichabod Crane or a headless horseman or whatever, but it's just set in this specific place. Um, and he was using real names. Sometimes he was. Okay. Um, ABL Dudley's a real guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did uh, live in Dudley town. His other, his brothers did leave Dudley town. ABL did die insane and penniless, but at age 90, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which makes sounds just more like somebody being senile. Right, yeah. So so you've got that. Then uh, Herman Swift, revolutionary general. Wife actually was struck by lightning. Okay. That's real. Mm-hmm. Apparently it was more common back in the day before we had <laughs> lightning rods. That's, re- that's real too. <laughs> um, she also happened to be standing next to Ben Franklin at the time. So it was just bad. <laughs> yes, exactly. He bad was timing. Out, he's out flying his kite. You got to watch out for Ben. Um General Swift himself supposedly uh, died insane and alone. Mm-hmm. That is true, but he died at age 81. So, Still, it's a lot of insane old people. Yeah, but like you've met old people. They're not usually insane. You're right, but who knows? A little daffy, maybe. We haven't interviewed uh, General Swift. Maybe he just lost a step and everyone's like, oh, and General Swift was crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, people thought that ladies talking back to their husbands were crazy back in the day, so I guess. Yeah, maybe he was for votes for women. Yeah. <laughs> um, John Patrick Brophy, the best story of the whole bunch. Here's a result from the web. Ooh. Well, Google wants to chime in here. Let's see what we got. <laughs> Obituary of John Patrick Brophy, age 77, born September 4th, 1941 in Houston, Texas. Uh, that's probably not our guy. No. That's okay, because John Patrick Brophy didn't exist. Um, they just made up this name and this person? The best part is, is Star's book doesn't even have the name John Patrick Brophy in it, but it does appear to be where that story began, because it has all of those things happen to, quote, an unnamed Irishman. <laughs> Okay. But there's no uh, supernatural element to his story. Um, his sons just leave town because they were caught st- they were caught stealing, you know, some mm-hmm. Irish drunks out stealing stuff. Well, that's stereotypical. And then his house burned down because mm-hmm. he was drunk. And he set it on fire or? No, I, I don't know. He left a pipe around or something. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. so that was John Patrick Brophy, and that, that's morphed into, um, that story's been retold over the years, and he's gotten a name, and, and ghost children. And ghost children, yes. Yep. And then Dr. Clark, real guy, 
really did uh, buy that 300 acre plot of land. His descendants still live in Dudley Town today, though that's the Dark For- Entry Forest Association. <laughs> okay. And um, this apparently was just a total fabrication by Star. That's not the way this guy's wife died, and Dr. Clark appears to have still been alive when that book was published. Oh, that's really awkward. <laughs> like, like, what a weird... It's <laughs> a weird thing to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he just invented a story about how this guy's wife uh, went crazy and I think killed herself. That's that's fucked up. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> and again apparently uh yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he if Dr. Clark had um like stiffed him on a bill or if he had given him a dirty look at sir at some point it's a small town i guess you have grudges i guess um <laughs> but that's dudley town it's not i don't think it's haunted but it's a good story so the curse around dudley town was basically that you know if you go there and you live there you go insane and your wife probably dies yes yeah the, yeah the curse um yeah, appears to be about going insane. Okay. There were some deaths, too. Um, I, I skipped over a death. ABL Dudley's buddy uh, was killed when they were building his barn. Mm-hmm. Like a thing fell on him. Mm. But that seems like a... I, I didn't even include it because it seems like just a barn mishap. Sure. You know, I've heard a lot of things about it being haunted. Yeah. Like a literal ghost town. Right. Where do you think those legends came from? To be honest with you, the prevalence of ghost hunters in that area uh really kicked up it was actually open to the public until the 90s okay and then after blair witch came out Mm -hmm. ghost hunters started uh rolling up to dudley town quite a bit i guess because um they that's when they that's when they put up all the no trespassing signs and started calling the police whenever cars rolled onto their land now are there abandoned buildings like is there anything spooky about it what kind of linked between this book by this guy who made up a bunch of stuff in the 20s and mm-hmm. then Dudley Town in the 90s getting a lot of ghost hunters like what's that link why did people think that there were ghosts there uh it was just kind of somehow this this one book and again the, I, I'm just saying this because the Cornwall Historical Society traced it all traced the, these these things all back and it's true before you know, there's no sources before 1926 that say any of these things happened mm-hmm. um uh, and of course the warrens got involved in the early 1970s mm-hmm. they paid a visit to dudley town uh supposedly recorded a halloween special there in the early 70s although i can't find any reference to where this aired could have <laughs> like been a basic special tv show could have been public access it could have been on mm. abc i don't really know mm-hmm. uh, maybe they recorded it to video cassettes and handed them out at um meetings <laughs> ghost meetings anyway ed and lorraine officially declared the land they're demonically possessed like all of the land uh yeah the land in dudley town and they took photos there and they said the photos showed uh orbs and swirls um so yeah they say demonically possessed orbs and swirls is a ghost thing or a demon thing <laughs> i mean it sounds like an ice cream thing <laughs> um i think it's i think a they ghost call them thing. jimmies <laughs> yeah. uh, i think it's a ghost thing uh, if you're talking about orbs swirls i assume is something like mist or you know energy that shows up um i mean i'm sure demons can manifest as something like that maybe they're shadows or whatever but i know orbs are definitely a a spirit phenomena okay 
So if Ed and Lorraine say it's demonically possessed, but also they say there's some orbs, we got ghosts, we got demons, we got everything. Everyone's hanging out. Everyone's hanging out. And people get struck by lightning. We're having a great time. (laughs) So do you think the people in the 90s that were coming onto this land to ghost hunt were very influenced by what the Warrens said about the area? I think they maybe started to dig into ghost stuff because they'd seen Blair Witch Mm -hmm. and especially ghost stuff involving creepy woods. And then if they stumbled onto Dudley Town stuff, they probably would have stumbled onto Ed and Lorraine, who were probably saying a lot of the the William Starr stories. Hmm. Well, it's a game of telephone. It is. Yeah. This guy's crazy. This guy's crazy. His wife got struck by lightning. He this went guy's crazy. John Patrick Brophy. Yeah. That's, that's my favorite is that a, a name got invented along the way. A three name name. A three name name. It's very specific. Super memorable name. That'll be the name of our firstborn child. John Patrick Brophy McCabe. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Four names. Mm-hmm. All right. So your professional opinion is there's nothing really to this legend but don't go there because they're kind of mean about trespassers yeah yeah it's it's somebody lives there and they don't want you there uh apparently um but also i i think i think it's just so interesting that all of the dudley town ghost stories appear to be just this one uh guy which what was he doing well like i said before i mean Sleepy Hollow has this legend that people know is fake, but it's made it a destination, you know, especially in the fall and uh, Halloween time. So it only takes one guy's book to to get to the masses and then it it just goes from there. It worked great for Dudley Town. It's a booming tourist destination. I don't think they want it to be. No, they certainly don't. Um, The place you're going to talk about is a place that I, I would love to I hesitate to use the word break in I would love to be inside of this building and take some pictures but I know that we're adults and I'd be arrested yep so uh tell us about Fairfield Hills all right uh so this is Fairfield Hills State Hospital I said I would get back to it while we were talking about the Melonheads and how they might have escaped from an asylum or that was the story um so this is that was an asylum that had burned down yeah (laughs) yeah that's like one version of the story yeah Uh, So this is not that asylum, but it would have made sense to link it uh, just in terms of location. It is the closest uh, asylum anywhere around here in this area. It is in Newtown, Connecticut. Um, So we've been here. We've we've driven up and through and it's a it's definitely a unique place, right? Yeah, uh, that's also where all of Newtown's, uh, this is a little less spooky, but that's where where all the town hall is and stuff. All their uh, civic buildings are are in some of the buildings of the hospital. Well, yeah, and that's kind of part of the weirdness of it. Um, The property still exists, so a lot of these buildings for the original asylum are still up. And about half of the buildings, from what I could see, were refurbished and turned into municipal and commercial offices. And the other half were just kind of left there, like not refurbished, not torn down. They're just there, like across the street from the town hall. Yeah, it's a great point. 
uh, and, and it, it, it makes them look all the more like dilapidated and, uh, uh, well, haunted, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, they are very dilapidated and spooky looking because, and like you said, especially because these buildings were just, just built. Um, so they're like these shiny new town commercial buildings across from this like spooky old insane asylum kind of place. It's very strange. And I don't know why they didn't tear down the other ones. Um, so there's this really strange dichotomy already. Uh, and it's there, uh, half of it at least still. And it's an interesting look into the past while standing literally right in the present. Um, so the original asylum, Fairfield Hills State Hospital, was opened in 1931 to help alleviate overcrowding at other state mental hospitals. So <laughs> so the best of the best. Well, the thing is, you know, like like with Dudley Town, if there's someone going crazy every week, basically back in the day, uh, you're going to run out of space. Well, yeah. And Newtown isn't that close to Cornwall, but maybe they maybe they had some overflow from Dudley Town. <laughs> maybe um, this is, you know, you got to keep in mind, this is also a time period where you could be sent to an asylum for sassing your husband or like being a woman and wearing pants um, wanting rights. Could you really be thrown into an asylum for wearing pants or was that a bit? <laughs> I mean, it's an exaggeration, but I would say, especially in women's cases, uh, if you had any sort of opinions that weren't of the norm for the time, which is very much being subservient to your husband and your family, uh, it was definitely more likely that they would just get fed up with you and throw you into an institution. I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, alternative archaeologists, remote viewers, and more. As I was on the way to Area 51, I was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements, and I found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second. It's not supposed to do that. From the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions, you have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle and uh, I, I turned and looked and it was, it was already moving away and it was descending the bluff. Uh, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75 degree angle straight down almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home. So, on that happy note, um, yeah, these asylums tended to fill up very quickly, which is why this one was built. An overflow valve. Yes. Um, so it was typical of the time and its treatment of the mentally ill, which is very unfortunate. Uh, they forced treatments like frontal lobotomies, um, which is the classic kind of Ike's pick through the eye, tap, tap, tap on the brain sort of situation. Mm -hmm. And um, you're destroying the frontal lobe? Yes, a frontal lobotomy. Mm -hmm. So that supposedly is going to help you not be mentally ill i think it mostly just made people not able to function anymore because uh, they didn't know what they were doing you know um they did archaic electroshock therapy uh which doesn't sound great either um 
there were many stories of suicide, quote unquote, mysterious deaths, abuse and cruelty, which is very easy to believe when you're thinking of this whole situation of the time. So this is a full on movie asylum from the 60s. This is American Horror Story season two. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, isn't there like aliens and like. Nazis and There's stuff There's the lady who has flipper arms. There's yeah. uh, Anne, I mean, Anne Frank is in the <laughs> asylum. To be fair, I think um, anyone with any sort of disability would be more likely to be sent to one of these places. Um, I don't think it was any like House on Haunted Hill or like American Horror Story where, you know, there's just people running through the halls and there's a lot of spooky things happening. It was just a bad place to be. It was a bad place to be. I'm talking more about the leather straps, the ice baths, the the uh, that electrodes. That sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think that was definitely common then. Uh, very unfortunately for these people who yeah. probably weren't that mentally ill by today's standards. You know, maybe you had depression or uh, ADHD or anything like that. If you were abnormal, uh, you were probably going to be sent away. A lot of blue-green camera color tints, too. <laughs> yes, for sure. A lot of stark imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, so the hospital was closed by Connecticut, uh, the state, in 1995, which is surprisingly recent. Uh, but since then, it's it was used I, as... I was seven. Yeah, like we were both alive, and this place was still running, which is kind of crazy. Um It's been used as a setting in films. So one of those was the movie Sleepers with Kevin Bacon. So it is one degree away from Kevin Bacon. Um, And it is also known for being the setting of an episode of the old MTV show Fear. Have you ever seen that? No. Um, It's a short-lived reality, supernatural TV competition show sort of thing. Mm. Uh, Something like Scariest Places on Earth was another one that's very similar. So they spent the night there in September 2000. And you can still find this episode, which is number two of the show, on YouTube in fabulous ripped from a VHS quality. Can I ask number two out of what? It is a short-lived show so i think it was just one short season might be about a sixth of the series yeah Mm -hmm. uh and on youtube you could also find plenty of unauthorized tours of the place now if you want if you're dying to go through these buildings this is probably your best bet because while we don't condone going onto private property and possibly um getting arrested at least these things already exist so you can watch the videos on youtube oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah don't go get arrested no definitely not especially since this is this this would be a, a very stupid place to trespass onto because you have town hall and town buildings literally right there mm-hmm. so that was that was like the last thing that was really filmed there of note it was supposed to be used as a location uh once more in a film adaptation of the madman's tale around 2007 or so but is, it, is that the one where the women all wear the hoods that's the handmaid's tale ah um, is it as searingly relevant <laughs> uh well there's a, there's a few madmen uh, in the world today i think <laughs> so the madman's tale uh is a novel written by john katzenbach released in 2004 and you can even find this on the wikipedia page for that book 
the adaptation was supposed to be filmed between 2007-2008 at Fairfield Hills, uh, but the lead actor had some personal issues, so production was stopped before they even began. Was he living in Dudleytown? Yes, he had just gone mad <laughs> from living in Dudleytown. And then he stayed at Fairfield Hills, and then he became a melonhead. It all comes together. But yeah, so that never filmed there. So that was kind of the last thing that had the opportunity to film there, probably because it was a bigger film. Thanks to the feature on Fear in the early 2000s, it became the local hotspot for teenagers to trespass on. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so much so that in 2014, the Fairfield Hills Authority voted against letting the show Ghost Hunters film in some of the remaining buildings. So I think going forward, you're not going to get a Ghost Adventures or a Ghost Hunters uh, crawling through these old abandoned buildings. No Bagans. No Bagans. I mean, especially, <laughs> I think especially not. If they're not letting the Ghost Hunters there, I don't think they're letting anyone else. Certainly not the human can of Red Bull that is <laughs> Zach Bagans. Yes. Are you going to bash my skull in? Because I'm on strike. So speaking of ghost hunting, um, because of its very clearly and, and definitely correct creepy look and the use already in horror-related media, the asylum has gained a reputation for being haunted. No. Since it's closed. Yes! I know, an old, dilapidated asylum just sitting there. So many ghosts. Um, so yeah, so there's no specific legends uh, around the ghosts that I can find. No, like... We saw Dr. Thompson in the lobotomy room window, but it's been closed for 20 years. No, there's none of that. Um, but an asylum is the it's the just the kind of setting that you almost go, well, if if there if there are ghosts, right. like talk about a location being demonically possessed. Yeah. I mean, it's not even I personally believe that energy um, can inhabit a place. Now, we certainly differ on that but i believe energy can't be destroyed and i think it can leave an imprint on a location if it's strong enough and when you come to a place like fairfield hills or any sort of other mental institution that is from back in the day so many terrible things were were happening in these places and done to these patients so many of these people weren't actually sick in any way it was just a kind of torture because their families wanted to get rid of them. I mean, it's a very, very dark place and it feels oppressive just looking at it. And yeah, a lot of that is because it's creepy looking. But you, you also think about all of the pain and horror that happened there without ghosts. Um, so I'm not surprised that people think it's haunted for sure. Yeah, no, that's a lot of um, psychic residue, I think would be the term. Yeah, and I believe in that. Um, so yeah, if, if that's, if that's happening, then, then that makes sense to me. Um, there are plenty of claims of sounds and like people seeing things in the windows and stuff like that. Um, from a rather adorably titled article in a Halloween time 2017 issue of the Connecticut Post. Can't wait. 
which the title is where will the ghosts go when fairfield hills is torn down oh i know it's like oh where are the ghosts gonna go little guys yeah it's really sad uh in this article several ghost hunting groups said that they expect the hauntings to remain and even warned that quote any location like that that has had a traumatic past is going to leave imprints of negative energy so since then since you know a few years ago uh, when that article came out further demolition or renovations have uh, made way for a proposed civic and cultural center are they kicking up ghosts and these demos kicking up ghosts, Carrie? I haven't heard anything on, on that front yet. But of course, if you're working there in the town hall or whatever, are you really going to be like telling the Connecticut Post, hey, I saw this ghost? You know, you you already probably get a lot of people trespassing. So as of 2018, some of the largest and spookiest buildings still remain behind chain link fencing and broken glass. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's, it's you know, we haven't been up there in a bit. I'm sure nothing's happened on that front in a while because there's not been a lot of construction going on. What around. does that virtual tour look like on the inside? I mean, are there still file cabinets in there? Uh, they've kind of cleaned up the worst um, objects. We we went to school. Uh, I went to school on Long Island near Kings Park Asylum, and I knew some people that had been there in the 90s before the cleanup. And there were still syringes around and not like, you know, people doing drugs in there, but like actual medical syringes that looked very old. Uh, they found a couple of straitjackets, uh, things like that. Um, places that people would be strapped down for electroshock those kind of things were still there in the 90s in king's park and then eventually they were cleaned out because people kept on trespassing again i don't know why these buildings weren't just demolished you're sending people in there to clean out the syringes and straitjackets like why are you leaving these buildings there it's very interesting it is strange that nothing else has gone up there but things have gone up there. You know, a couple of buildings, sure, were torn down. But if you're already tearing down the other ones, like, why leave the giant ones behind a fence just being spooky across the street? Well, I think you're assuming that tearing a building down is free. I just, but the same thing happened with King's Park. So my point was that, you know, eventually these places were starting to get cleaned out. Shakespeare Theater. Mm-hmm. Sat there till it burned down. But that's more of like a historical thing. And also the stuff around it wasn't torn down. Remington Arms plant. Well, again, why? I mean, no, it, it still doesn't make sense to me because the Remington plant is not in a good area. It's right by the highway. It's full of lead and asbestos. Exactly. And if these places are full of lead and asbestos, which is probably true, they're not safe to be in. Is this a town council meeting? I feel very confused and and yet passionate about this. I would think you'd be in favor of more spooky in the world. No, I am. I just want to know why. I don't know the answer. Give me the ghost stories. Okay. Well, there's no real set in stone ghost stories. Um, These buildings just still exist. People see things in windows. They hear weird sounds. But there's nothing that is like, oh, this is the legend they always tell about this place. 
so people work on this campus still. Locals are encouraged to walk the trails and bring their dogs there. I guess you can enjoy the scenery. <laughs> I, mean, I, I do enjoy the scenery. I think it's very cool. Again, I do. But I don't know if like some young couple with their baby is going to be like, oh, look, it's the dilapidated asylum. No, it looks like a place Batman would fight a bunch of thugs in uh, thematic costumes. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so there is there are those eerie vibes you get on the campus. And there's like this weird doubling sensation when you're standing in the street and you see these brand spanking new buildings on one side and a rundown mental hospital on the other. Mm-hmm. Um, the only real weird story that I personally have about it uh, comes from probably my own faulty memory. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I remember as recently as my college days, there was this awesome website that painstakingly recounted the history of Fairfield Hills. And um, we were filming a movie uh, that took place in a mental institution. So I was, you know, looking at this area uh, because I already knew the place. Um, so now, unfortunately, there is a porn ad site camped on the domain, which was super, super fun to open at work. Um, <laughs> but the website is still available on the Wayback Machine. Mm. I don't know why I remember it this way. Maybe I'm just making it spookier in my own mind. OK, but I recall either at this site or at another site about uh, this subject, the updates stopped abruptly and it was rumored that the webmaster had died mysteriously okay like i don't think i made that up (laughs) um but you can't find evidence of it i i thought that maybe it was one of those things where someone else had updated it again and said like sorry webmaster dave is dead or whatever (laughs) like but i i couldn't find like when it stopped you know, when it stopped being um, about a mental institution, started being a porn site. Right. So. Right. Very interesting. I mean, maybe that's Webmaster Dave. The porn site? Yeah, yeah. Maybe he is just letting it all hang out now. Oh, he's letting a lot of things hang out and letting other people let things hang out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but on the Wayback Machine, like this site really dove into the history. So it was really unfortunate that that happened to it. Uh, so, you know, in my mind, I went back to the story like, oh, there was this webmaster who was like always visiting (laughs) Fairfield Hills and writing about it. And then he went mad and he died mysteriously. But I couldn't find that. That almost makes it creepier. It makes it creepier, which is really why I wanted to find it. But I couldn't find that. It's like a candle cove. Yes. Yes. That famous creepypasta. Um. But in any case, the site is defunct as a historical site, not as a porn site. Uh, So even if the buildings aren't. So that was Fairfield Hills Asylum. Yeah, that's it. That's what you got. That is all I have. It is a spooky place. I have spooky memories around it, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if they're real. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's not a lot of quote unquote proof about the hauntings and things like that. Not for lack of trying on the case of the ghost hunters, but they just aren't interested anymore. So again, 
if you're not, if you don't want to encourage it, why are those buildings there? Can we get a can we get a petition going uh, to the to the city of Newtown to the town of Newtown to either kn- knock those things down or let Zach Bagans get up in them? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't give them an ultimatum. Uh, why don't we let, since I wouldn't want I genuinely don't want them to be knocked down, but I want to know more. Why don't we let Zach Bagans knock them down? With just the power of his intensity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. He'll just yell at ghosts so loud that the walls fall down. Where are your workers? All three of us are on strike. What are you going to do about it? Um, those were haunted places. We'll be back with a few haunted people of Connecticut when we return. Or haunting people. Or haunting people? Well, the Leatherman isn't a haunted person. We'll be back with more haunting or haunted people when we come back with more... Haunted, haunted or haunting people. (laughs) This show is called Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Goodbye. And we're back with some haunting uh, or haunted people Mm -hmm. of Connecticut. Some local local legends. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to start us off with um, a story that sounds a lot scarier than it is at first blush. I'm going to tell you about the Connecticut Leather Man. Oh, is this like a Texas chainsaw, like Connecticut chainsaw massacre? It sounds like it would be Connecticut's version of Leatherface. Right. Um, nothing quite as exotic as that, but it is an interesting story and, and, and definitely a local legend. So, okay. So we're going to cover it. Um, yeah, this is more uh, this is more haunt, a haunted man than a haunted, haunting man. He's not a haunt. He's not a ghost. Is uh, a real person? Yes, he okay. he was a real person, the leather man. He was a. Didn't it say that on his birth certificate? Like uh, leather space man. Well, unfortunately, Caroline <laughs> will never know. Oh, strange. Because this gentleman is known only as the leather man. Mm. Uh, in fact, there is a uh, there is a cemetery in Ossining, New York. Okay. Uh, with a rest the, with the final resting place. Uh, of of this gentleman, and the stone there only says, "The Leatherman." So he was from Connecticut, but uh, he was like, you know what? I'm going to be buried in New York. Uh, he probably wasn't from Connecticut. Oh. So um, this was a man, a homeless gentleman, a mm-hmm. tramp in the um, parlance of the times. Of the time, not of this time, though. Uh, a tramp or hobo uh, who would walk the. Um, he, he did a. 365 mile route uh, of western Connecticut and eastern New York. Mm-hmm. He would do this 365 mile circuit every 34 days. Specifically 34. 34 days. Okay. And so if you saw the leather man, you knew in 34 days you would see him again and he was never late. That's so weird. It is wild. And he was such a non, like a specifically non-specific time. It's not a month. Nope. It's not a month and a week. Nope. It's 34 days. That's right. And people would give him money. He would usually refuse. He would take a little bit and go just kind of kind of wander away, grunt. Uh, He would point at his mouth and grunt and people would give him food. Uh, He always ate outside, never uh, agreed to go indoors anywhere. He was called the leather man because he always dressed in the same clothes. Uh, this was a baggy leather suit. Uh, oh, God, that doesn't sound comfortable. No, uh, it definitely doesn't. He had sewn it himself out, okay. of, out of discarded boot tops. Oh, 
That's a lot of boots. It's a to lot make of, a whole suit. It's a lot of boots, and think about how hot and heavy it would be. Yeah, well, it's been like ninety degrees recently, just around here, and we're not even in the south. Uh, that is correct. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it was a 60-pound suit of shingled leather patches that he stitched himself by hand. Uh, So that's what he wore. Um, Didn't bathe regularly, so you have to imagine he uh, smelled great. Could he speak or... He would only grunt. He mostly uh, spoke in pantomime and Hmm. grunts, uh, but he would mumble a few words in broken English. And people said his accent sounded French. Oh, that's very interesting. It is. We're going to get into into all kinds of theories about the Leatherman. Um, but so this wasn't a scary figure, right? He would come into town. People would, exp- would know he was coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was kind of a local mascot. All the children would, would be waiting in town. for. They'd come run, the Leatherman, the Leatherman. They would bring him <laughs> little scraps of food and, and, and stuff. Kids would actually often... Um, Teased the leather man, unfortunately, um, but they thought it was a, a, a fun time when he was around. Um, people would often try to offer him alcohol. He liked, um, let's see, brandy, and okay. and he liked beer. Actually, it says here uh, there there's a receipt from a shopkeep from that time, mm-hmm. and the leather man came in with some money someone had given him and uh, handed the guy uh, his order written on a note, and he so this is the leather man's um, lunch. Okay. Can of sardines. Okay. Loaf of bread. Okay. Pound of crackers. Ooh, okay. A quarter of a pie. You like know, an apple pie. You or... know, if you've ever seen a cartoon, you know a hobo loves a pie. <laughs> Whether it's on a windowsill. <laughs> Only if he has a little stick with a hanky on it that he could carry it of in. Of course, that's true. And <laughs> our friend the Leatherman didn't, unfortunately. Uh, two quarts of coffee, a gill of brandy, and a bottle of beer. Just one. God... Sounds like he would just be having a lot of intestinal issues. Yeah, it's not the diet of a man who, um, it's not the diet you would want for a man who doesn't probably uh, ever get to use a toilet. Yeah, and just is walking all the time, sweating. Yeah. Just sweating out coffee and brandy, not drinking water. Yeah. That's crazy. So people uh, got the idea that this guy was uh, French or maybe French-Canadian, um, but they couldn't get him to, they would ask him in French or in English. He wouldn't want to talk to anyone. He would, didn't want to talk about his past. Um, and sometimes people would try to get him drunk to uh, uh, try to get him to open up. But after that happened, the Leatherman would avoid those people. If you if you started prying too much, he he wasn't interested. He didn't want to be. Uh, he his trek included New Haven at one time. He would mm-hmm. go all the way up to New Haven, until a gang of street toughs grabbed him in New Haven and poured liquor down his throat to get him drunk, uh, and, and trying to trying to figure out where he was from. <laughs> it's like the shittiest version of Greece ever. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Uh, I'm gonna get you drunk, or else I'll punch you. Like, a, what? a similar thing did happen to uh, my cousin Pat. Uh, when we were in by Ga- you no we were in we were in Galway Ireland and uh, uh, two guys Pat's a short all my whole family's short uh, but two Irishmen ran in to a bar like from the street grabbed him by both arms and left with him uh, and we and followed you were, were you concerned yeah sure we I mean, no I wasn't uh, but but uh, his mother no. I think followed them down the street and uh, <laughs> these guys Where are, are you going with my pet? That's right. And these guys are uh, dumping a shot of uh, whiskey forcefully into his mouth in another bar down the street. Was he of legal age? I mean, in America. In in Ireland. Yeah, he was over 12. 
but he was still y- too young to drink here. Oh, probably. So maybe they were trying to do a thing of like, you know, let's give you your first shot or whatever. No, it wasn't his first of the night or of his <laughs> life. Uh, anyway. Well, it's just a strange thing to do to someone. I understand it more in Ireland than I do in New Haven. Yeah, they knew we were Americans and they were trying to show us the crack. Yeah, show us the crack. Yeah, it's the uh, Irish word for fun. So they, they say, they're, oh, oh, we're looking for some good crack. That's what they say all the time. It's oh. a bad, that's a bad Irish brogue. But. It's also just a bad thing to say in America, too. But yeah. I, show me the crack. I met an Irish guy uh, who said that he was asked in customs once on the way into into the U.S. Uh, what he crack? was there for. And he said, oh, I'm here for some, just here for some good crack. Oh, yeah, that's not that's not good. Yeah, it's C R A I C. Yeah, that makes more sense. Um, so, so, okay, so he used to go to New Haven. Didn't do it after they dumped the. But liquor was he down still doing the same thirty-four days? He just figured out what would be that yeah. same. Yeah, he must have just made it up so somewhere else. Crazy. Uh, and it was so to the day that people would mark their calendars for the next time he was going to come back. And they would they would like skip church picnics and stuff if, you know, they, they wanted to be there for the Leatherman when he got there because, you know, where, where is meal for today? Right. Um, so it, it's kind of nice. That is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, you know, things weren't always uh, great for the Leatherman. Uh, this also he wasn't alone. There were other people who would wander, you know, again, tramps and hobos and bums kind of uh, <laughs> synonyms, synonyms everywhere. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there were, but probably not to the same, like, set, vigorous schedule that he was. Uh, no, and, um, but, there, but there were enough that uh, there was a tramp law passed in the state in 1879. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was largely ignored. That was a law where if you were a vagrant, you could be thrown, you know, if you weren't, if you were sleeping outside, you'd be thrown in jail. Okay. Um, but it was universally ignored for the Leatherman, this law, and at least 10 towns in New York and Connecticut made specific exceptions, like the the tramp law doesn't apply to the Leatherman in this town. That's genuinely touching. It's beautiful. (laughs) Um, He had caves and hideouts that he would sleep in as well. Mm -hmm. And the Leatherman caves, uh, you can still find them. And they're still, uh, some of them, you, you you can see like where he marked... Uh, you know, stones or whatever to remind himself where to come back. That's crazy. I would love to see that. Uh, yeah. Well, we can we can go uh, we can go find them. There's a whole website. You know what? We'll post a link on our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can you can find these Leatherman caves online and go uh, go see them. That's something you won't get arrested for. Uh, <laughs> and it's kind of cool. Uh, Only if you sleep in the cave and then you'll be a vagrant <laughs> and you will get arrested. Right. At, <laughs> at the time, kids found this out. People knew at the time that he would sleep in caves because um, kids had followed him. Leatherman, Leatherman. They had followed him into the into the woods. Chanting. And found apparently. the cave. Interesting. Um, yeah. So in 1877, um, the newspapers reported the Leatherman's lips were sore and cracked and that he was refusing aid. These are the kinds of like uh, uh, stories would appear in the newspaper because everybody knew this kind of local character. Mm, different time. Yeah. Um, he in 88, there was a, a great blizzard. Like a, this is a if you look at any uh, mm-hmm. news from the winter of 88. The, the, 1888. The, yes. Mm-hmm. 1888. The. um uh, that blizzard is referenced. It was a huge, huge disaster mm-hmm. of the time. Uh, the Leatherman survived it in a, a makeshift hut he'd made for himself in Southington, uh, and he only lost four days off his route. Wow. 
So he wasn't even in like someone's barn or anything like that. Did he ever stay at people's houses? Um, or did he ever get offered that? Or was he always like, I'm going to go to the cave. Bye. He usually wouldn't even eat indoors. Hmm. Um, I have an account here of a, uh, a later, later in his life, an example of, of him inside. But I think it's one of the only, uh, uh, accounts of that happening. Um, he was a smoker. He loved us. He loved a, uh, he had a pipe, a little handmade tin pipe, mm-hmm. presumably several that he would make, you know, he'd, he'd make pipes out of tin and then, uh, he would smoke just cigar stubs, discarded cigar stubs that he found. Okay. The leather man. Uh, he also carried a handmade knife and a hatchet mm-hmm. and he had a uh, French language prayer book on him when he died. So it probably is a case of where he came from French Canada down or, to New York. Well, or France or France. He, uh, he also wore a, um, religious medal of some kind so people speculated that he was a roman catholic uh, which but never they never got close enough to see um well no it's just that if he, he oh and, and he would refuse meat on fridays so okay he, he never said he was catholic because he didn't say anything but the clues add up the clues add up um would you like to hear the possible origin stories Absolutely. I could not find where these origin stories originated, but these okay. are the two possible origins for the um, le- for the Leatherman. These are the two legends. Okay. Some say he was the son of a carpenter from France uh, named James Bourglay, mm-hmm. uh, who fell in love with the daughter of a uh, wealthy leather merchant by the name of Laurent. Um, Borlay uh, invested heavily in Persian leather um, to try to, you know, make a fortune, impress this girl and win her heart. Um, this is the leather man or his father? The leather man. OK. Um, just before a crash in the market. In the leather market? In the leather, in the Persian leather market. Yeah, he, oh. he was he was totally ruined. The wedding was canceled and uh, he was ultimately imprisoned in a Paris monastery for inability to pay his debts. But he escaped to self-imposed penance in the United States wearing all the unsold leather he couldn't uh, uh, get rid of. The Persian leather market. Yeah. I didn't know I didn't know that was a thing. Also, are there well, cows like better somehow? <laughs> Why would it be a thing? They have cows in France. Yeah. And there's a market. They talk about that, like fell out somehow. Like they, how does that happen? They talk about Corinthian leather, right? Um, but that's, I think, more of a, isn't that a process or, or yeah, the way it feels I or something? So. <laughs> that's so weird. Um, so yeah, I've, I'd never heard of that before. Persian leather, but I, I think. And the market dropped out. Yeah. Somehow they stopped needing that leather. It really. Maybe they figured out, oh, we have cows here, so we're fine. <laughs> we don't yeah, need the, the demand, Persian cows. The demand was gone after that. That's so bizarre. Um, very strange, which, you know, I, this feels a lot to me like somebody just kind of bending over backwards to explain the leather coat. Well, it also kind of feels like uh, someone telling a lie, but they add so many details that it makes it more suspicious when yes. they think it makes it less. The, the fact I was shocked that the, the there's a name attached to the wealthy merchant because it, like, well, it like, makes it feel like, like a thing you could look up. John Patrick, you yes, know, John it's, Patrick it's a specific... Oops. It's a specific name. Mm-hmm. It's uh, three names. This guy's got a French name. There's yeah. Persian leather. I, I think I just got his name wrong twice, by the way. It's Jules Bourglet. Maybe his dad was James. 
Maybe. Okay. Jules. Jules Borglay. Or, other option, he was an escaped French-Canadian convict who had murdered his wife and her lover. I don't know where the basis for that is. I don't know who said it. I don't know why they said it, but that's that's another thing people said. I like the French-Canadian angle, but I think this is probably a person that was brought up in the wilderness and then just kept on being in the wilderness, maybe had some sort of mental illness or obsessive compulsive sort of thing where he had to like follow the same schedule and he had to be outside. The schedule is interesting. Yeah, that is really strange. Early 1888, before that blizzard, he had been arrested in Middletown uh, by the Connecticut Humane Society, which I think is normally more interested in arresting like dogs. Yeah, like stray pets. Yeah. Uh, so the Humane Society, uh, I, I assume, caught him in a big net <laughs> and they brought him in uh, and they found that he was um, they wanted to get him off the street and save his life, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. But they found he was basically sane and he had a little bit of money on him. Uh, so they let him go. OK, he didn't want to stay with them. He didn't want to be helped. So, uh, I mean, you can't force an adult man who's of sound mind to do anything Absol- legally. Absolutely. Especially not. then. So. Um, but he was um, he was pretty sick at that time and they could tell. And that's part of why they tried to um, convince him to stay. Could they tell anything besides the cracked lips and well, the- stuff? The correct. Here's an account. Uh, this isn't from the Humane Society, but it's from around this time. And this is a family he stayed with. Mm-hmm. Um, he was brought to the fire by the family. He was a pit- pitiable object, cold and wet, half of his lower lip on the left side eaten away. Mm. He was given plenty of hot coffee and milk, cake and pie. He could only eat by crumbling it into the coffee, of which he drank six large bowlfuls. Bowls of coffee. When eating, he had a piece of leather which he put over his sore lip to keep food from it. He seemed grateful and furtively watched every move as if afraid of something. He was offered tobacco, pipe, and matches, all of which he declined with a shake of the head. He prefers the taste of tin, apparently. When he was warm and had eaten enough, he got up to go. He was told to sit and warm himself as long as he liked. He simply pointed up the road and, with an expressive gesture, indicated he must go. The Leatherman died of cancer less than a year later. Oh. His body was found uh, in one of his caves, March 24th, 1889, in Mount Pleasant, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, he was found by a guy who was apparently trying to impress a date. Hey, hey you know what? I got, I, there's one of the Leatherman caves around here. Come on. Oh, no, no, yeah. I, I've seen him stay there. Come on. <laughs> so yeah. you're either going to run into nothing, you're going to run into a homeless man, or you're going to find a corpse, which they did. Yep. Sounds like a great date. Great date. <laughs> um, yeah, so they found a corpse. Uh, he was uh, buried in Sparta Cemetery in uh, Ossining, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and his original tombstone said this. Final resting place of Jules Bourglay of Lyon, France, the leather man who regularly walked a 365-mile route through Westchester and Connecticut from the Connecticut River to the Hudson, living in caves in the years 
his grave was moved further away from Route 9. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was after, uh, unfortunately, uh, when they moved the grave, uh, they dug him up. And they found that none of the remains were left. Uh, time, uh, nearby traffic, and a road grading project in the intervening years had taken everything. Like uh, all of his bones and stuff? A few coffin nails and a little bit of the soil from the plot were moved to a new grave. Mm. And a new marker was put down that simply reads, The Leatherman. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed terror takes center stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. So the the land was still there that he was on. What happened to his bones? Well, it said a road grading project, so I feel like like half of his grave was just... God. Taken. How close was it to the route? Like, he couldn't move it over a foot? That's and if bizarre. You're, if you're going to move the guy, move him before you grade the road. Exactly. There's a stone there. And why yeah. did they change the stone? Because his name was... I, I, I think putting the name Jules Borglay, if that wasn't his name, it's a little disrespectful. Well, and I they guess. were probably trying to... I, I like that now it just says the Leatherman. That's how the town knew him. Yeah, it's just... That's how the whole area bizarre, knew. You know, it's bizarre to like let that happen and then be like, oh shit, let's move him now. I know. Let's and move these nails that aren't him. Three coffin nails and some dirt. That's what they put in, in a box. <laughs> a sweet metal album. <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon. Well, that's it's a sad ending, but um, surprisingly, it seems like people in New York and Connecticut were genuinely, for the most part, surprisingly kind to this person. Yeah, and unsurprisingly, there's always going to be some dicks who pour some uh, whiskey down your throat. Uh, yeah, always, <laughs> no matter where you go. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the leather man. That's the leather man. And uh, who's our other? Who's our other haunted individual? It was more of a haunting individual, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, this short little story is going to be my final contribution today. It is about the headless horseman of Canton. Love it. Mm-hmm. Oh. This is not the headless horseman of Sleepy Hollow. No, Canton, Connecticut. Um. So, Sean. Yes, Carolyn. You know. For a fact that I am a slut for a mysterious horseman with a pumpkin for a head. You just know this. You love it. I love it. 
Um, so Washington Irving's story that we mentioned earlier, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, mm-hmm. is longer and more dense than you probably remember. Um, it's not just like, oh, there's Ichabod. He's on a bridge. There's a horseman. Where's Ichabod? There's, there's a lot to it. I think when people think of it, what they're thinking of is actually the Disney cartoon. Probably. Definitely. Is that the one with the toad as well? It's probably not a toad involved, Ichabod and Mr. Toad. It was sold as a, um, or it was uh, put in theaters, I think, as a um, double feature. Oh, I see. A Mr. Toad thing and then Ichabod, because it wasn't a full-length film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's definitely more to it. Um, that's kind of a, a short part of that story. But it's been a favorite of mine since I was a kid. Um, I've always loved that imagery. It's so spooky. And I grew up... Uh, you know, pretty close to the Terrytown area where it took place. So it was always kind of cool to be like, ooh, this, this spooky legend uh, that was is so famous is nearby. And, you know, you could drive down that area and you see the signs for Sleepy Hollow and you just, as a kid, you associate it with that story. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the town still associates itself with that story. Of course, it's and why pretty, wouldn't you? pretty nice tourist industry. Yeah. Uh, but less known is the legend of Connecticut's own torso-tastic equestrian. <laughs> I just had to get that in there. So according to our favorite website, Damned Connecticut, the earliest account of the story that can be found originates in the Connecticut Quarterly from late summer 1895 in an article about Canton, Connecticut by the Honorable William Edgar Simmons. So this does post-date the Headless Horseman of Sleepy Hollow. I believe so. And it does post-date uh, the Leatherman as well. Just interesting tidbit. Yeah. But yeah, uh, late 1800s is the earliest recounting of this story. So uh, the Honorable Edgar Simmons wrote, quote, During the Revolution, a French paymaster left Hartford for Saratoga with his stout saddlebags filled with gold for the payment of French officers in the American army. He was traced to this tavern for a night's rest and no further. The innkeeper always avowed that lie departed safe and sound... I think he, he, he typoed there. The innkeeper always avowed that he departed safe and sound, but it was probably heavenward, for no evidence of lateral travel was ever found. Nice one, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. So that's in the innkeeper's words? No, this is, <laughs> this is like the, uh, this is Simmons just being fancy with it. So basically... There's no evidence that he ever left, even though the innkeeper said he did. Mm-hmm. A discovery made after the tavern burned down a few years ago tends toward a belief in his murder. This incident endowed the highway with the legend of a ghastly phantom, a headless horseman to be met at night in a neighboring pass where the, tr- <laughs> where the trees shadow the road so completely that no sunlight penetrates even at midday. So another dark entry. Yeah. Yeah. We love a dark entry. (laughs) Love it. Um, In David E. Phillips' book, Legendary Connecticut, it stated that the discovery made at the Burn Tavern was, quote, the bleach bones of a human skeleton complete, except for the skull. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, (laughs) the screaming skull. (laughs) That is, uh, that's pretty dope. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
So in another book of Connecticut Curiosities, which is uh, Connecticut Ghost Stories and Legends, discloses a more detailed account by Canton historian Dr. Lawrence S. Carleton. So in this version, which is set one night around the time of the Civil War, uh, a traveler making his way along a deserted Canton Highway encounters a horseman standing in the shadows. Wait, so this happened either in 1776 or 1865? Listen, it was a war. We're not sure which war, but it was a war is basically it. It might have been in Nam. <laughs> yeah, we was definitely Nam. Um, so the traveler asks the horseman if he knows how to get to the Hosford Inn, and the horseman just silently points, then gets on his horse and rides away to the west. So he's like, deuces, man, I'm out. <laughs> like, here's the inn. Peace. <laughs> um, so it's only after the horseman leaves does the traveler realize that the person he just met was... Headless. Oh, ghost. oh, wait, what? <laughs> I don't know why you does miss he, that. Does he instead of does he tip his cap as he go, as he rides away, but his head comes with it? I genuinely don't know how you miss that someone's missing a head. Like maybe he had a um. Read that passage oh, again. <laughs> it is only. Okay. Um, it is only after the horseman leaves. That the traveler realizes that the person he just met, yep. Sean, this is serious. The person he just met, he just met, was headless. <gasps> <laughs> he ain't got no head. So, like, again, like, he's missing his whole ass skull. How, how do you not? And then he's like, he's riding away, and then you're like, wait. Oh, <laughs> like, what? I don't know. I don't know, but that's that's the story. No, they, you know what? I just noticed that guy didn't look me in the eye once. Oh, <laughs> there were no eyes. There was no head. I genuinely, I don't know. Uh, Wait, was that a pumpkin? Oh! <laughs> Since the story began circulating, people have claimed to see a horseman riding west away from the tavern. So, if you're at the tavern, west is toward Saratoga, New York. So I. But I highly doubt like people can tell that or have knowledge of which direction Saratoga is from the tavern. I don't think people usually know which direction West is. Unless it's certainly not anymore, but that's part of the story. Like, you know, if someone tells me to go West to the nearest Dunkin Donuts, my eyes will just immediately glaze over. Uh, The flowy caped horseman is always on a dark phantom stallion with fiery eyes. This guy knows how to dress. (laughs) Well, he's a ghost horseman. He's on a ghost horse. So the the, the horse is dead, but Uh it has its head. Like, I feel like that that would be even more obvious if it was a headless horse. The horse is dead and loving it. (laughs) It's a headless horse, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's my favorite Jay-Z lyric. <laughs> I'm a headless horseman. I'm a headless horse, man. <laughs> yes. Um, so it's got fiery eyes. He's always on this horse. <sighs> like, who murdered the horse is my main question. Oh, because... <laughs> <laughs> like, if, well, if this guy is a ghost, like, why do you have to kill the horse like that would be someone like someone killing us and then being like oh let's shoot the dog too like that's messed up well maybe he was it's listen it's not great for the horse but maybe he was being nice to his murder victim because like an egyptian pharaoh would want to be buried with a bunch of horses this guy was barely even buried with his head like (laughs) this guy's lucky he's got a cranium in here you're gonna bury a whole horse with him 
insane. That's the real crime, I think. Wait, wait, wait. When that headless corpse was found, there wasn't a horse in there. It was a skeleton, and no, I don't believe there was a horse. But, you know, maybe he... he I, got prob- I got a lot of questions about this horse. I got a lot of questions about this whole thing, Sean. <laughs> Uh, a Hosford-associated public house did exist in the area in the late 1700s. So that could be the Hosford Inn that is mentioned. Yeah. Um, but nowadays, at the purported location, which is around the Canton Junction of Routes 44 and 202, mm-hmm. all that remains there is a fish restaurant and a 1750s era, era cemetery. Ooh, fish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe you'll see the horseman there one night if you decide to, like, take a stroll through the cemetery after a delicious dinner of shrimp scampi and calamari Caesar salad, which are on the menu. So Thank you for looking into that. I think menus are a very important piece to any puzzle, um, and I, I like to to bring that to the table. I think that's why we get along so well is our passion for menus. <laughs> yes, and what's on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of it. I mean... Um, when were these sightings happening? You, you said people people have uh, claimed to see him riding west. Just, was was that in the 1700s, 1800s? time. It, it's not like... time. This isn't like you saw internet comments like, I, I saw a guy on a horse. Uh, I didn't see any internet comments, but these sightings were mentioned in both Legendary Connecticut and Connecticut Ghost Stories and Legends. So, well, and the the latter did in enclose an account by Canton historian Lawrence S. Carlton. So, who knows? But they can't really even get the the war set. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we don't know which war it was. But it's interesting that you can kind of trace it to this, this route, this junction, and and there is like a Hosford public house or owned by someone named Hosford. It really feels like someone just trying to rip off the Ichabod Crane story, though. My boy it does Icky. Kinda, <laughs> your boy Icky, little Icky. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does feel like that. It also feels like maybe there was some sort of inn or whatever around there, and. They were telling spooky stories one night at the bar. I don't know. Let me ask you: in the um, in the Sleepy Hollow story, uh, what's the backstory on that headless horseman? Is it is it the one from the movie Sleepy Hollow where he's a Hessian? I think that is with it. pointy teeth. <laughs> no, I, I I don't know where that came he from. He only says this. <laughs> <laughs> he is a Hessian, and it it was around this, the uh, Revolutionary War that he's from because they, there were Hessian soldiers, yeah, mercenary soldiers. Yeah, by the British. Yeah, uh, in that area in New York, so. Yeah, when Washington crossed the Delaware, he killed a bunch of drunk Hessians. <laughs> and who wouldn't? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Oh, he probably created a bunch of headless horsemen that day. So many. There's just, this is like a whole gang. Horsemen Anonymous. Mm-hmm, kind of right around the D.C. area. Mm-hmm. So that's really it on that one. It's just a short little story. Um, well, I loved it. I had a great time with it. Does Christopher Walken play this one? <laughs> just like in his own mind? Or <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, you know, there are so many weird stories that, that we could tell about Connecticut. I mean, even further. I know we're skipping over a couple that we really want to deep dive into later. Yes. Like anything associated with the Warrens and, you know, the white lady of Easton, they... Uh, they're big into that story. Mm-hmm. Um, the witch trials that we had here. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
yeah, I thought this was a really good overview of just how weird this place can get. That's it. This is Connecticut. And this is a break. We'll be back with a segment in a minute. Let's take a trip to the Bizarre Bazaar. CBS Denver reports on the strange story of a cursed rock. Apparently, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Department recently received an interesting piece of mail containing a rock and a short note, which read, Someone brought this home to me three years ago. Bad things been happening ever since. According to the note, the rock had been taken from a park in Colorado. A Parks and Wildlife Department employee observed that, quote, the rock is red and appears soft like a sedimentary sandstone, likely fountain formation like Red Rocks Amphitheater in West Denver. And they think it is likely that the rock was taken from Roxboro State Park. Why the sender felt that this rock in particular was to blame for their troubles is up to conjecture. <laughs> but for their part, the Parks and Wildlife Department reminded the public that the best practice when visiting any park or wilderness is to take only photographs and leave only footprints. Because you never know which pebble is going to be cursed. I feel like it's the beginning of a horror movie that ends with, you know, whoever found the rock and the note tying a similar note to the rock and, and you know, putting it out in the wilderness somewhere. Yeah, the Jumanji ending. Yes, very much so. <laughs> well, looky here. It's a special me and my boo slash Crime and Punishment co-production. Ooh! <laughs> Remember Tiger King? Oh, yes, I think so. <laughs> yes, in the heady early days of quarantine, when we were all still convinced that this would last a month tops, when stimulus checks were a flowin' and companies were a furloughin', we were all engrossed by the story of the Tiger King and, quote, that bitch Carol Baskin. The adorably named Coco 5 News reports from Oklahoma that the search for possible human remains at the Greater Wynwood Exotic Animal Park, a.k.a. Tiger King's Tiger Kingdom, has been called off. Our old friends, the ghost... I, sorry, I wasn't aware that it had been called on. Oh, yes. The Ghost Adventures boys were in the park doing a paranormal investigation. Zach... Bagans? Yes, yes, the very same. That human can of Red Bull? Yes, and I'm not sure why, because I don't remember anything in the documentary about the zoo being haunted, but I digress. Um, um, it, um, there were cats that died there. Well, they brought in cadaver dogs for some reason during this investigation, and those dogs alerted at a small unused alligator pond on the property. Uh, the zoo's new owner, Jeff Lowe, he of the Soul Patch and uh, Sugar Baby, said he believes that there are human remains on the property that just haven't been found yet. Authorities took the dog seriously, as they don't usually make mistakes, dug around, investigated the area for hours, but no corpse was found. However, Jeff Lowe still says he believes those dogs were onto something. As far as I can tell, Zach Bagans has uncharacteristically offered no comment on the matter, <laughs> though at least the paranormal side of the investigation will be shown on a two hour special this Halloween on Travel Channel. So they are airing it. Yep. Mm hmm. On Halloween. So, so far. OK. On the prime side of Prime and Punishment, we tell you something we recently watched on Amazon Prime and 
give a quick review. Why Prime? Because it rhymes. Uh, recently, we binged season four of RuPaul's Drag Race on Prime, and let me tell you, it was an emotional experience for Sean. Roller coaster. So, what did you think? How, how would you rate it out of five stars? Out of five stars, um, am I grading it on a curve against other Drag Race seasons, or just as content? Just as a as a viewing experience um, through the lens of Drag Race. Yeah, okay, let's give this a strong four and a half stars. I think RuPaul's Drag Race sits at about four for me, and this was a, a particular, a particularly strong season. Um, hateable, 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 hateable queens, uh, as well as some very, very Wonderful lovable. Queens. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, it, it brought everything, everything that I want RuPaul's Drag Race to bring. Uh, I agree. 4.5 stars. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on iTunes. We'll be forever grateful. See you next Tuesday. Yep. Uh, this show was created by Sean McCabe and Carrie Ferrante. Music by Kyle Ryan. This has been a production of Longboy Media. One of Scotland's most notorious unsolved murders. To think that someone could turn a cheese wire into a garrote and take someone's life. The level of violence, the uncertainty and the randomness frightened people. She always thought the killer was going to come back after her. Society needs to find that killer. Who is the cheese wire killer? Listen to the full series now wherever you get your podcasts.